we just need to understand that it's, you know, when technology collides with humanity, the whole range of humanity comes out. This is the key reason that I do what I do, where I really work to help people understand this and educate and bring more people into the space to lend their voices, is because I believe that the more voices we have understanding the opportunity in this, the potential to use this technology to advance us, um, the more chance it has of actually getting there. This is Brand Story, a podcast celebrating the stories of real people who are making an impact on brands, business, and the world around them. Welcome to Brand Story. My name is Steve Gilman, and I'm your host. And my guest today is Allison McCauley. Allison is an educator of emerging technologies and the founder of Unblocked Future. She is also chief advocacy officer for Unfinished, a technology organization that designs and develops systems to support a healthier digital society. She is a Web3 keynote speaker and the international best-selling author of Unblocked, How Blockchains Will Change Your Business. And it is a wonderful book, so we will link to it and everyone should go read that. She has also spent the last several years working to de demystify the blockchain and the Web3 world. Hi, Allison. Welcome to the program. Thank you. Thank you, Steve, for that introduction. And thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. I'm excited to talk to you today. I think there are so many things to demystify in, in the areas that you talk about that I'm just excited for people to get to hear you speak. I've watched a lot of your videos and, and read your book, and I'm just a huge fan. So thank you for being here today. Well, it's a really complicated space. It's a nuanced space. So there's a lot of work ahead to demystify it, but it is the next wave of change. So there's there's a lot of work ahead on that. Yeah, I don't think you'll ever be done. I think it's just the tip of the iceberg. Yeah, and I don't think I'll ever be bored. No, <laughs> probably not. <laughs> so, you know, your book, Unblocked, um, is designed to help executives understand the world of blockchain and how that world is going to affect their businesses. But how did the book come about? What made you decide to write it? Well, you know, it wasn't... Um, my desire to write a book because books are really hard to write. In fact, when I first saw that idea, I uh, really tried to get rid of it because uh, I didn't want to go down that route. Um, but I felt almost a compulsion to share what I was seeing. And, you know, I wrote this book in 2018. So it was many, many years ago. And what I was seeing when I when I first understood enough about this technology to see where it could go I felt this strong desire to be able to share with others what was going on because it was a mystery out to others outside of the space even then. And um, yet there were such strong seeds of change in it that could completely change the way that digital works. And especially as we are blending more and more our digital and our physical worlds, that be, is even more important. And remember, that was before the pandemic when we now right. live pretty much all virtually. So um, I started to write a few articles and I realized that this is actually a long form. And so I, um, I, I went up to the mountains for two weeks and challenged myself with, could I map out a, a structure to be able to share to somebody who's totally new to this area that's not a technologist what these elements of change or, or pressures for change will look like and what they will be and i came with a format and so i thought i would just jump in but it was pretty intense i bet i bet it took a lot of work because the book is very thorough and i think everything in it is super relevant today you know even more so in the way that you know 
it's just gotten more complex and you've have this element of this whole layer of hype on top of it and almost an element of misinformation around it because people interpret things incorrectly. They get all excited about one part of it. So today we'll try to, you know, I know your role is to, to uh, demystify some of this. So we'll, we'll do our best to demystify a few things today. Wonderful. Yeah, it's, it's important. And we may just get started on a few things. But I also, one thing I see as my role is I hope to inspire people to go out and feel equipped to learn on their own as well. Because the use cases are constantly changing, but some of the fundamentals are, are constant and the same. Yeah, they really are. And yeah, I think we'll, we'll be talking, we'll just touch on the surface of some of these things today and hopefully encourage people to do more study. I think to cover this thoroughly, we'd have to do about 10 episodes. And we'd only be getting started then. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> so we'll do what we can. Let's start with blockchain because okay. I think that's a great place to start. And there are so many common misconceptions around the blockchain, you know, what's the most common things you have to demyth around the blockchain? Well, one I'll mention is um, the blockchain. There's not yeah, just right. one blockchain. There are many kinds of blockchains and they work in different ways and they do different things and they have different energy requirements, for example. So there's a lot of different, different blockchains. Another thing I've noticed when people want to first get into this space because it's such an unknown they want to know they want to know what exactly is a blockchain and how it works and that may be the wrong question if you think about it we don't um it's not common for us to all try to understand i want to know exactly how the web works i want to know how tcp ip works i want to know how HTTPS works i want to know how email works like these things are not things that we um we need to know to understand what the impact will be. So what I often try to do is reframe the question in terms of um, how will it matter? And so one way that I like to think about this that I found helpful for people is if we, if we zoom way out and we say, what, you know, what impacted the internet have or the, the, the early versions of the web have? And if we really look at it, what it did is it made it cheaper and easier and faster to communicate. So all these things that are that are built on here, all these apps that we use um, are about cheaper and easier to communicate. And so when we look when we look back, you know, 10 years from now and say, what was the impact that blockchain technology had? I think that what we're going to see is that it made it cheaper and easier and faster to know what's true. And I think that's the fundamental that will shift, will birth new business models and new products and new services and create a lot of change. That That is the thing that changes everything. Wow, that's fascinating. Certainly the the term blockchain as covering everything is, that must be part of the problem is that these definitions get thrown around and people grab onto what they can and still they're not accurate. Everyone thinks that blockchains just mean cryptocurrency and they don't realize that there's this whole other use case for blockchains. Like it's, I know that's really a simple place to start for you, but you know, the idea of smart contracts and then how that will impact and be used by, you know, decentralized organizations. I think that's really fascinating. And most people just have no idea that this world is so much bigger than what they see in the hype right now. Yes, and a lot of people have trouble understanding 
this NFT thing that I'm hearing or this DAO thing I'm hearing, how does this relate? So let me give an overview of sort of the landscape. So the fundamental underlying technology is blockchain technology and blockchain technology gives us all kinds of new uh, functionality that we can use in different ways. The very first use case of the very first blockchain was, and the very first blockchain was the Bitcoin blockchain. The very first use case was Bitcoin. So that is simply a first use case. Then people started to see that what was in this technology could be used in so many different ways. And so they started to innovate with it and build on it and then build different versions of blockchains. And so you had all these different approaches. And then what I've noticed too, is that we'll have areas that get really hot around a new, essentially category, right? So examples of categories might be NFTs or DAOs or DeFi. Uh, and so there's a lot of these. And so how I think about kind of ordering this is at the core, at the underlying core is blockchain technology. And then you have um, consumer applications and sort of back office business applications, right? And so there's a whole bunch of operational improvements and advancements that can be built off of the back of blockchain technology. And we don't hear, they aren't as sexy, so we don't hear as many of these, but these also will have an impact on customers in the future because they will change the way we can do business. They will change the way we can collaborate with partners and will enable us to uh, explore new markets and bundle products in new ways. So that's a whole area. And then there's the area of how it hits consumers directly, people directly, web users directly. And so a lot of this in common language has sort of been bundled now in this new term, Web3. So Web3, you can think of, the way I've started to describe it is that Web3 is how people connect to the benefits of blockchain through the web. And there are a lot of wonderful definitions that are being explored and that I really love for many others. And we can talk about some of those as well. But if we think about functionally what that means, that means that we see NFTs, we see DeFi, we see uh, web dApps, so decentralized applications. So we're starting to see all these different um, applications or functions around this. And we're gonna see a lot more that we can't imagine today from where we sit. That is a great explanation. That is, I think that'll help a lot of people because what I think people don't realize is that the underlying technology is the blockchains. And then what's being put in front of them are just the beginning of how people are going to use this technology. So I think you explained that really well. Let's touch on a few of those. And let's, I think a big one right now, of course, is NFTs. And there's a ton of hype and a ton of overblown, you know, rhetoric around it. So, you know, it, it started mostly in being used, of course, what everyone thinks of when they think of NFTs are art and you know the actual digital art. But how else are NFTs being used and how do you talk to people about NFTs? It's such a big subject. And I think it's really important for people to remember that these are the very early stages. And so everything we're seeing, if you look at it as experiments that we can all learn from, it, it's a good way to look at it. And um, there's, it's super messy. Yeah, it is. But we're already starting to see some very interesting applications. And I I remember it was uh, Kings of Leon put out the first album, and this is disputed whether it was really the first album, but let's just say it was a, an early album as an NFT. And that was, I believe, March of last year. And then things 
completely exploded because everyone started to experiment with it. Um, and so if you look at, let's look at that use case, like what they did. So they produced, you, you were able to get the album as an NFT. You were able to also, they wrapped in perks into, because NFTs are simply code. So they wrapped in terms and perks into that. So you could have lifetime seats, those front row seats at a concert. Um, and so that just shows an example of how, because these are code, these are a way to establish ownership of a digital asset and program in terms and conditions to the ownership or the exchange of that asset, we can do amazing new things. And so that is a way to enhance and make more rich the experience of owning an asset. It is a way to drive a long-term revenue and relationship with fans or community to the person who created or the, the organization that created an NFT. So you could program in that there's a royalty exchange with every single shift of ownership. And so this is extremely exciting in the world of art where a, an artist might create something that has massive value down the line, but not see any of that from the initial sale. This is a way to kind of embed it. So we're seeing a lot of these interesting use cases that will, um, you know, that also blend the digital and the physical. So in the Kings of Leon's example, that definitely was the case because here's a digital asset, but you're able to have a in-person experience. We've seen, um, several projects that have like the board eight yacht club that integrated in admission to a party because you had ownership in this. And so we're just going to see this explode. And so, um, that's an area that people should definitely watch because these things can be extended in all kinds of ways. And, um, then when we think too, about how this NFT functionality to be able to prove ownership of, of, an asset or a credential can be extremely powerful. So I've seen examples where people can earn micro credentials as an NFT that allow them to prove that they have actually earned a skill. And so that has all kinds of interesting implications for the future of finding talent and the future of work. Um, this kind of example could be used in many other ways. Or um, if somebody owns an NFT, it's a way to um, distribute or drop an additional perk. And so it's just, this is an area that even though the stuff that's happening right now can feel pretty buzzy, it's really important to look at what's really happening, what's behind it, and then start to ideate and dream. What could this be and how could I use it? And, um, we will see all sorts of interesting stuff come out of this. Like we are at the very, very early stages. Yeah. And I think that's the most fascinating thing about it is it's very easy for people to dismiss it as just a bubble or something that's just very buzzy and hot right now. But I think it's really interesting when you said, you know, one of the first project, the Kings of Leon project is not very long ago at all. We're talking about some really rapid adoption of this technology and people experimenting with it. So you're not looking at a finished ecosystem. You're looking at the beginning of something. You know, I was just on a call earlier this morning and uh, we, we were laughing because uh, there was someone who had been in the field for nine months and was talking about how they were an OG. Yeah, <laughs> and right. so, so basically, if you come in and you learn about this now, you are really at the early stages. And so you're going to be able to claim OG status in some, you know, in one area of this or a specific area. 
And um, I think also you bring up a really interesting point in that there are so many projects. And so the other thing that we talked about in this meeting is we were looking at a range of projects and really trying to understand, um, you have to do some work to understand who's behind this. Let's say that it's an NFT project that promises a, um, a, a donation, for example, to a nonprofit or to an artist collective or something like that. You actually have to do work to understand, is that actually the case? Is this run well? Is this a copycat uh, approach that is making someone money that you wouldn't want to support? So it's a very, there's a lot of due diligence that needs to take place in these early stages. So that's why I tend to look at these as interesting use cases to learn from versus trying to participate too heavily. It's extremely time consuming to do so, uh, to participate you know, and do all that due diligence. I wanna learn from all of these and see what I can carry forward into my understanding of how this technology could be used to do something completely new. Well, I think if, if people listening take just that away from this conversation today, I think that'd be really beneficial because I think there's a lot of people think, oh, I'm missing out on NFTs. And if I don't get in right now, what's going to happen? You know, the train's leaving the station. Well, it's not because this just started. I started getting interested in NFTs around 2020. And the project that got me really interested was Gary V's uh, V Friends because it is blending the digital asset with the physical experience with a convention and the whole thing. And, you know, because he's such a good marketer, he's going to keep adding value to it because he's smart. But you know, I think those kind of projects are sometimes the exception. And then you've just got people experimenting and doing new things and trying new things. So watching and observing and seeing where this goes is really a great positive way to look at it. Yes. And I think I, I had a very interesting conversation with some high schoolers the other day. So I had a um, I had the, the honor of sitting down for dinner with a whole group of high schoolers who then proceeded to completely ignore me as they spontaneously started to talk about NFTs and blockchain and what is money and currency. And it was the most fascinating conversation. And they didn't want to hear a word from me, even though I had a lot of, I thought I had a lot of value to offer, but no one wanted to hear my perspective. So I shut up and I listened to what they were saying and I learned so much. And one of the things that I noticed about that conversation was that um, they were asking really good questions about NFTs and they were talking about how could they be used. And so they were exploring that and trying to understand that. And then they were also saying, what about, um, so uh, one of them said, what about inflation? So they were thinking actually about market saturation. So there's so many projects. How do you choose? And how do you know where to spend your money and your time? And so to some extent, uh, I mean, it is overwhelming for people in the space. There's nobody who can keep apprised of everything that's going on. We all have to share what we learn. And to a certain extent, you kind of have to ignore like, you don't want to buy in every project or you don't want to find the best project necessary to buy into. What I encourage is find a few projects that are personally interesting to you that you just want to learn from and go into the mindset of what will I learn? I'll need to set up a crypto wallet. I'll need to figure out how to buy an NFT. I'll have to, and, and it will engage you immediately and have that value, get that value from it. Don't try to find the one that's gonna, you know, be the next um, massive uptick in, 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 in value. 
just try to learn from it because that will be more valuable long-term than um, I think the gambling aspect of it. When something's new and it's hot, you're always going to have people just speculate in the space and are either trying to make a quick profit or just are riding the hype wave. But you know, NFTs as a concept and as a, a use case, they're here to stay. It's just going to evolve. What alarms me right now is how many people that I run into in leadership or marketing that are just like, oh, it's a fad. It'll pass. And that's what people said about social media as well. And this is what people said about the web. So yeah. there's this, um, you know, I, I, I always laugh when I go back to this Newsweek article from 1995 where the title of the article is the internet, bah, you know, like, we don't say it anymore, but um, <laughs> yeah, it, right. it's, it's hilarious because it talks about how it will never be that we have uh, classrooms online or digital replaces meetings or libraries, you know, replaced by you know, this. And it's impossible to search the internet. It's so hard. We can't deliver good results. And it just was very narrow. And what people tend to do is judge a technology based on where we are right now. And like in your background, I can see a very, very old computer. If we judge the future of our digital lives based off of that computer, of course we would say this is ridiculous. So yeah. in a way you have to, um, there's a bit of a leap of faith that comes in emerging tech. And I've seen this again and again, you know, we all know Moore's law. We all know that things will get get better over time. And I'm telling you, the speed of innovation is unlike anything I've seen in 25 years of emerging tech, because there are so many people that are super passionate, that are working on this space, they're using open source tools, they're sharing their learnings, they're building on each other's work. Um, you're able to take a protocol and just fork it. You're basically able to take a protocol, say, thank you very much, I'll take all your code and I'm gonna make it better. And this stuff is happening all around the world. And so what happens is that um, we judge based on the fact that there are scalability problems today. User experience is super clunky, like it's really hard and it's painful. And you know, you may open a crypto wallet and then that wallet might go away a week later. <laughs> it's really frustrating right now, yeah. The fact that we still need, uh, innovation in what are called consensus mechanisms, which are the things that drive the energy load, right? So we're doing better, a lot better, but there's more work that needs to be done. So you can't judge it on the current state because you will miss the next digital transformation. You'll miss the next opportunity. And so that's what I try to advocate for is please um, recognize how fast this, the acceleration is happening, how fast we're getting better and understand the fundamentals and project how's that going to affect me? What's that going to build? Then you're in this rich area where you can start to spot the form of the future, the shape of the future. Yeah, that is so well said and so fascinating. What I love about that is that one of the things you touched on is that people are sharing the tools now. People are sharing the code. It's, it is decentralized and open source. So the rate of adoption, the rate of innovation is so much faster than what we saw in the past, even in the recent past, with people developing applications for what the web is now. This is just a different mindset. So things are happening very quickly. And I think, I think it would be foolish for anyone to think this isn't going to affect a lot of industries just because of how you, the utility of it alone. And I'll add another element to this. So um, my 
my background is social science. So I have been working in emerging tech for 25 years, but with a social science background. So I'm interested in how technology changes our behavior as individuals, as a socially, culturally, as organizations, how we collaborate, how we work together. And so with that background, I also have to add in another layer to what you said, and that is that the kind of collaboration that is happening that people can't necessarily see is um, astounding. So there are thousands and thousands of um, DAOs or decentralized autonomous organizations where people are coming together to share knowledge, decentralized communities of people, and share knowledge, share information, um, to birth new tools where they where they'll say we need this kind of tool it will be created and all of a sudden it's a business you know so there's all this stuff that's happening behind the scenes often in discord and um, and you can't really see it and so that's another thing when I think about how do you um, how do you start learning more deeply in this space and I really do believe it's taking a, an applied an applied approach to it so um, you know open a crypto wallet buy a little bit of crypto. Um, buy an NFT um, just because it calls to you, not because you're trying to make money off of it. And then find some DAOs that you think are an interesting subject. And keep in mind, there's a huge range of quality and we don't really know yet. There's, you know, we haven't yet defined what makes a DAO a DAO and there's a lot of controversy there, but at least you will start to learn in an engaged and applied way. And that is a way to supercharge any of your exploration of the space. Well, that's great advice. And I think, you know, you mentioned Discord and, you know, I, I got interested in Discord and I, I go on Discord now and still I feel like a fish out of water. But you know, I'm there because I want to listen and I want to learn. And, you know, it reminds me a lot. People's reaction to some of this reminds me a lot to even when, you know, the simplest chat boards were first started and people are like, that's ridiculous. I would never do that. Let me put the stamp on this letter and send it to my friend, you know? So I think it's like, you know, when things like this change, I love that you take a social science and behavioral view of it because I think people just hate change in some ways, or they're afraid of it. And it's very difficult to start to move through a process of change and accept that in the future, yeah, it might make it better. And it also just might make it different or maybe more difficult. Yeah. And it can make it worse too. I think we also have to understand that, um, you know, technology, all technology is just a tool. So literally every kind of technology can be used to help or to harm. So, um, you know, like this is, this is a tool, this is a pen, this is a tool. And this could be used to harm. <laughs> so, um, you know, this is the same thing. And so we just need to understand that it's, you know, when technology collides with humanity, the whole range of humanity comes out. And so this is what, this is the key reason that I do what I do, where I really work to help people understand this and educate and bring more people into the space to lend their voices is because I believe that the more voices we have understanding the opportunity in this, the potential to use this technology to advance us, um, the more chance it has of actually getting there. So 
that's what inspires and motivates me along with all the incredibly interesting things that are happening that completely feed my brain. Um, but that's, um, that's why I do this kind of work. Yeah. I, by the way, you just said something that I swear I'm going to write up on that wall. You said when technology <laughs> and humanity collide or connect, um, that, uh, it brings out the full range of humanity. And that is a wonderful perspective because you know, right now in the NFT space, for instance, you see generosity, you see people helping each other. You also see greed and you see oh, yes. people doing things that are unethical. And you see manipulation. You see manipulation. So I just think that, that that particular concept of that, you know, a new technology brings out that full range of humanity. I had never thought of that before. So thank you for that thought. That's really a neat thought. I'm super honored that I might get a space in the wall. <laughs> <laughs> That's going up um, right there. But you know, Steve, you're getting me to think too. I mean, um, it's interesting because I think this is tied to the conversation about um, how difficult it is to like navigate the space and know it's real and to kind of keep an open mind, but also a healthy skepticism at the same time. Um, it's very easy to get distracted by stories of things that are wrong or ways it's not used and then just discount everything. And that's where the danger comes from. And so I think if we can, and it's very difficult to do, but if we can hold in the same space an open mind, um, you know, a curiosity of how this could be applied and a healthy skepticism, we must go into this space in any emerging tech space with a good deal of skepticism, but we can't let that close our minds. It's very, very difficult, I think, for adults to do. And one thing that I encourage everybody, like everyone I work with, um, everyone I have a conversation about in this space, if I'm walking down the street, I always run into a neighbor who wants to talk about this, is um, I always ask, what are, you know, what are some of your key questions about the space? What's your question? Because when we reframe our thinking as a question, I think it kind of naturally opens us up and it gives us a path or a chart um, a, a path forward, I'd say, for um, for our work to understand. And so, yeah, that's. I, I think it's a way to kind of open your mind is is form it in key questions. Yeah, that's really a great way to encourage people to think about the space. And I I love the idea of having a combination of almost childlike curiosity because all of this is brand new and some of it's very shiny and very like kind of, you know, from outrageous to really like hard to understand. And then holding that at the same time, holding that healthy skepticism, like that adult skepticism and bringing it together, because that's how you learn well is when you have both those elements. Just like the early days of the web, we, we really can't imagine from where we're sitting today, like what will be built. And it gets more complex because it could be that it's the combination of blockchain technology and AI or blockchain and IT. I mean, we're already seeing incredible use cases in, in this way. So when those technologies start to converge, what will come of it? And it's just a little bit hard for our brains in our um, early experience with it to imagine where it will go. And so if we think about the fact that um, in a way, everybody can generate the most important questions. Everyone has a different lived experience. Everyone has a different... Um, way of thinking. And so because this is an early space, we talked about earlier, this is a very early space, because we can't really imagine what this is, the generation of those questions can be just as valuable as someone else's answers. You might bring in a question that no one has really asked before that they should be asking. 
And so I, that's another thing as people engage with this, know that your thoughts of how you meet up with a space are super valuable. It could really make a difference. That's great to know. And also great to hear. Cause I think people feel intimidated by talking about the space because it's so complex. And if you're not a tech person, you know, you think, oh, I don't have the vocabulary to think about it. But, you know, since we're all going to be involved and we're all going to use it, we certainly have the vocabulary of our own use cases or our own perceptions of how this might affect us. And I think that that's, you know, being curious about how it might affect us. The story that got my attention, and I even forgot where I heard it. It was just a story of how this might be used. That got my attention was with ticketing, with the ticket to an event. And someone told a, a very short story about how, you know, if there was a world art festival, they could make a ticket where the ticket itself was an NFT, of course, and but had an original piece of art. And, you know, your ticket was an original piece of art. And then you, if you went every year, you could collect these. And people would be able to someday, you know, just like we show each other stuff on social media, you show your vacation, you show pictures, you could be sharing, hey, I've been going to this thing every year and look at all the beautiful little pieces of art that are originals that are part me now. This is part of my experience. And I just thought, wow, the possibilities there. What you're bringing up is all the different layers that can yeah. happen because it's simply programmable. And so while we were talking earlier about NFTs as you know, a ownership of a, a digital asset, this is also the ownership of, this becomes an asset that I have attended an event. Here's my proof yeah. of attendance. And that's actually a really right. interesting term if you're interested in looking at it, like proof of attendance. Yeah. So you can say, like, if you actually attend it and you have this proof of attendance and you've got that certifiable uh, you verification that you, you yeah. did it, all this stuff can be woven into that. So maybe you attend multiple events over years and you can you know you can show that what what kind of additional perks could you get what could that mean what kind of industries right. could that affect um so this is where i think it's really interesting to take to take those understand the fundamentals of this and then sit around with people from your industry or your space or people your friends that are interested in a certain area and just start to imagine what if we could do that what if we could do this what if we could yeah. do this and then try to find projects that are already doing that, those interesting things that you found, and then learn from them. And then you build and you build and you build in right. a way. This sort of also represents the value of open source innovation where there's all this innovation happening everywhere. So um, go out, learn from it, see what where that takes you, then learn from that next step and learn from the next step. And then maybe you find a space that nobody has quite touched yet and you think should be developed. Right, very likely. I mean, there's there are gonna be so many. And I think the angle that you come at it from, from you know, the social science angle, and you're thinking in a, at a very human level while you think about technology, I find that really fascinating. That's one of the reasons I started following you on LinkedIn and everything you talk about I find so fascinating because you're looking at it of how do human beings interact with it. So even in any simple use case, you know, a collectible to one person might be something they really value. They love collecting and that's just what they want out of it. While another person wants to prove they got the education. So there's all these possibilities of how people end up using something that we see over and over again, like that we've seen in social media, we've seen in, you know, communities that have, you know, kind of jumped up around those technologies. But yet when we look forward, we have a hard time seeing the possibilities of how with smart contracts and all this incredible technology, how we can use that in a very human way. It's interesting because, you know, in addition to the list of, you know, here's how different people might want to use it. Also, some people just want to make money. 
Yeah, and right. Then, so <laughs> yeah, I, there's think that. It, I think it's interesting because what um, in these early stages, there's a lot of that. And um, yet I think some of the most exciting stuff ahead is the segmentation that will happen in terms of why are people engaging with this technology? What are the different psychographic drivers, their attitudes and their beliefs and their behaviors around it? And how does that meet up in interesting ways with the new functionality that the technology offers? That's where the interesting work is going to happen because how can I use this technology to um, enhance the ability to collaborate with a community that also has a shared mission? How can I use this technology to drive more value to my, my customers and um, to give them, to, to develop a deeper relationship with them? And the way that, if you look at the pressures that this technology puts on um, our culture, our world, um, a lot of it is about, you know, because the technology allows us to circumvent middlemen, because it allows us to go direct, because it allows us to know what is true um, easily and cheaply over time, uh, we're not as reliant on traditional organizations over time at, or traditional or ways of doing things as we were. And so the onus then becomes on the organization to figure out how do I add more value? So it's going to be a really important topic of discussion as this technology matures and more alternatives come to market that might be in, you know, an established organization space. And so you have to be more creative about how do you evolve from a, you might have a two-way communication with your, your customers, but this new world in the far future, uh, uh, the customer will be demanding a more collaborative relationship with you because now they'll want more of involvement or ownership stake in the value they're providing to the relationship. They're going to want you to, um, to pay you know, to treat their data differently. And if you use their data, they're going to want to have a share of that or stake in that. So it's just fat. This, if we look at the long arc of how this will impact our relationship with our consumers, there's some significant change coming and it will, it could take a decade or two decades to really realize this. But if you look at how even, when we move from a read-only web, web one, to a read-write web, web two, which allowed us to have product reviews, for example, that completely changed the way that we need to interact with customers. So all of a sudden, it was it was expected that we would have product reviews, and then we have to deal with that. That was a huge, massive, very difficult undertaking for many brands. Yeah, it gave the consumer a lot of power. Completely. Well. Now that was nothing. Yeah, I know. Right? Yeah, that's just that's just the tip of the iceberg with Web three. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. So this is this is another reason why it's really important to understand um, the underlying core of how this will change things, and start to think even if it is quite uh, you know quite far out where you're going to see this in in force. You need to start understanding the early indications, the early signals. Yeah, I think that's fascinating from my point of view as a marketer and as a brand marketer, because you know, brands for brands to succeed with this space moving forward, then authenticity and knowing what they stand for and being true to their consumers and being honest is one hundred percent crucial. There's no, you're not going to pull the wool over anyone's eyes in this space in the future. Yes, 
Absolutely. It's so well said. It's just going to be, uh, you know, very transparent. That's what I love. I love the transparency of the whole space. So I have a question that's a really simple one about Web3 that I, I just, you know, want to ask you because I want people to hear the answer. Like, I think a lot of people think Web3 is built and it's out there right now. You know, I've heard that and I'm like, no. So can you talk just a little bit about that? Like, is what, what is Web3 right now? I love Elon Musk's uh, tweet that he did where he said, Where's Web three? I can't find it. <laughs> yeah, where is it? I can't log on. <laughs> I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I, I was thinking I, I've got to write a piece on this. Um, so, a lot of the applications that are being built are, um, or in the early so decentralized applications is um, and their services that are different forms of of Web three, and um, they're a little bit hard to the user experience is still not um, what we're used to in many cases. So when I look at where's Web3 hitting uh, people right now, I believe that it's they're starting to understand how to use NFTs. You might be you might um, start to use some DeFi. You might start to use, you know, various various applications. Um, but probably you're someone more in the community that's aware of them and willing to sacrifice, you know, early adopters are always willing to sacrifice some clunkiness to be able to use something early. So we can look at electric cars. If you're an early electric car owner, you had to really work to find out how to charge that thing. And you had to put a lot of extra work into figuring out how to drive to a meeting if it was far away. And a lot of people did that. Um, and then it became more common and easier to use and, 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 and so on. Um, and so we're kind of seeing the same thing. So the people who are using it first are, you know, they're willing to sacrifice some of that user experience where I think we will see web three adoption, um, really start to take off is when we get more people adopting crypto wallets. So I believe that the wallets are going to be our Web3's browser, if you will, and point of entry. Because as people open crypto wallets, they're able to see what they can hold as ownership stake in that wallet. And then they can see its utility. And over that time, also, so over that adoption curve, we'll also see more services and applications come in that make people want to adopt crypto wallets and so on and so on. So um, that's really, I think, where it will start. So watch crypto wallet adoption because that will be a um, signal of what's to come. Yeah, thank you for that tip. Crypto wallets are for anyone that's an early, really early adopter or, you know, a somewhat early adopter like me, you know, setting up your crypto wallet for the first time is quite a task and it's confusing. It's MetaMask is kind of a mess, whatever. There are other ones. I'm looking forward to that moment where they start to get easier to adopt for people because it's hard. You have to do some work. Honestly, I think it's going to be a bit of a bumpy road because there are some really discreet trade-offs. So we today rely on, you know, in our Web2 world, if we lose a password, we just talk to a centralized service and, you know, ask help and like reset it and that goes away in Web3. So there's some really huge trade-offs that uh, I think the Web3 community is, um, we're working on answers, but we need to do so much more because um, the, the, tension between like control and accountability is huge. And so, um, you know, it takes, it takes a lot of work to know that you have to be responsible for your own key. 
to that. If you lose it, you lose everything. Yeah, and that's hard for people to accept because we're used to not having all that responsibility and accountability, you know, and you're not it's it is a little bit of a change of perspective for you to be like, wait a minute, I'm I have a stake in this now. This is I have more control. And more control isn't always what consumers want at the, at the outset. So it's going to take some bravery. For adoption, the value of what is on web3 needs to overcome that inconvenience. And so we'll, you know, we'll get there over time, but this is going to be tough for people. And it also, when people say, you know, I think this is one of the myths in, in the space is that um, blockchain technology will eliminate middlemen. I don't, I think, I, I don't believe that. Middlemen for uh, millennial have served a very important function. Middlemen help us get, um, you know, they increase the value of of goods. They uh, they offer services and they get compensated in exchange for that. So when we look at the challenges of Web three, some you know, which we just talked about, um, I think there's an opportunity for middlemen, but a different kind of middleman to emerge. One that provides more value to customers, that um, compensates customers for the value they are providing to the network or the relationship. So I think that's a really exciting area of innovation that also supports this overall theme of needing to have a more collaborative relationship with our customers. So every single business has a middleman role, some kind of middleman role, and that's the area you need to be really paying attention to in terms of, am I adding enough value? How can I add more value? That's a wonderful point and really interesting because I think early adopters and people who are early evangelists of some technologies, especially in this space, one of the first things they'll say is, oh, this will get rid of middlemen. For them, that's a huge benefit because they're who they are. But when you think about everyone else, people like middlemen because middlemen make things easier. It's not just an evil. It's a service. It's like, so, you know, a lot of people like having a concierge for their experience and they need it because they can't be good at everything. Of course, that's a, you know, I mean, so yeah, I agree with that. I've always wondered that you hear that over and over again, like it removes the middleman. I'm like, no, it's going to need maybe more middlemen, but a different type. You're spot on, Steve. I, I think it's about pressure. It puts yeah. more pressure on middlemen. It does. You have to be a more valuable middleman. You can't be lazy about it because yeah. it's an intense space. So let me ask you a couple of questions just about you and what you do real quick as we are as we have to draw this to a close. This could be a four-hour episode easily. <laughs> we could talk the rest of the day, and I don't think we'd get through I love talking this. all day about this stuff. It's yeah, it's amazing. Subject. Well, you know, if you ever want to come back. Oh, totally. I, I love this conversation. Yeah, I'm having a blast, and you're, you're amazing to talk to. And it's just I feel like we just scratched the surface. We've just scratched the surface. I know. And there's so <laughs> many other things to talk about that we didn't get to. Like we didn't dig into DeFi and all that. There's so yeah. much. So, you know, we'll talk and maybe we can get, have you back to talk about another subject. So what's had your most, what's had the most impact on you um, as a social scientist and what made you want to be a translator for this stuff? So you're talking more broadly. Yeah. Like what made, what drove you to like do this? Because it's a really interesting, you know, I can understand how exciting it would be, but you have a big job. You're constantly having to explain this incredibly complicated stuff to people like me and you know, what is, what is that like? What made you want to do that? I, um, I'm inspired and I'm driven by trying to understand human behavior, the human condition. And so while I come from a family of engineers, I, um, my teenage rebellion was to not become an engineer. Um, but as soon as I got out of graduate school, um, you know, the, 
the, the web was starting to be a thing. And I was just drawn in because what I saw was the combination of where software and hardware were going was going to completely shape the human condition. And of course, I didn't see how much, you know, I didn't imagine exactly how far, how fast, but um, it's, it's, it's been pretty significant. So what I see, what inspires me is that this is the area we have the most opportunity to shape, which then shapes us. And so I'd say that's the thing that drives me. Wow. I think that's that's such a cool answer and it's an amazing thing you do. And I really enjoy your writing and, and all the content you share because you're sort of helping all of us. You're a concierge to this incredibly complex world and you're providing this translation service that all of us need. So anyone listening uh, will have links, but you have to follow Allison on LinkedIn because her content is amazing. Um, so let me ask you, I get you to finish the sentence. I only have two more questions and then I will let you go. If you weren't doing what you're doing, if you weren't running unblocked and translating tech concepts, what would you be doing? Well, I would probably still be working in the space, trying to understand it. I, um, <laughs> yeah, I, um, I am always trying to get my head around new things and try to understand what it means. So this would, this would be the, um, the thing I would, I would still be doing. But I think I'd spend a lot more time with my kids. <laughs> <laughs> I go down the rabbit hole and they have to, they yank me out occasionally. They say, mom, you're, you're like, you're doing it again. Um, something big will happen in the space. I'll get sucked in. And, you know, we eat cereal for dinner and I, they respect that. Uh, they understand it. But I could be a little intense, and so I think I'd probably live, you know, like a slightly more balanced lifestyle. But I, I can't, it, uh, I, I can't stop. Yeah, that's what <laughs> happens when you're passionate about something. So, if you get final question, if you could give your younger self any advice, what would you tell yourself? Oh wow, I would absolutely just follow my passion and not worry about anything else. I, you know, I started off in a very traditional career path because that's what was done. I am so inspired by um, people that are younger than I am that jump into things and follow their own path with purity about just what excites them and interests them. And I think the definition of a job or a career is so different now. And so I'm really excited for the kind of creativity and innovation we're going to see out of so many people following things that are interesting to them with incredible tools that amplify their impact and their work. Um, wow. I hope that they can, I hope they do good work to solve some of these huge problems that we have ahead of us, but this gives me hope and we need hope. We need more hope today, right? Yeah, we definitely do. And, uh, I, you know, I appreciate your passion for what you do and your passion for, uh, sharing knowledge with people. I think, you know, knowledge is power and I think it, it helps people to understand possibility. And that's what I see you talking about when I, when I watch your videos or look at your content, you're always talking about the field of possibility and there's a ton of hope in what you do and a ton of positive energy. So thank you for bringing that. 
Um, it means a lot to us out there that are your fans. So well done. Thank you, Steve. I, I, that's, um, that's a beautiful thing to say, and it's really nice to receive that compliment. <laughs> well, it's, it, this has been a blast today. I had so much fun talking to you. So, uh, you know, we're about at time, and I don't want to keep you too long. So I'll just say thank you very much. And when we put this up, we'll put a landing page. We'll put links to your LinkedIn and your book and everything. And anyone listening, you, you know, I highly recommend you, you follow Allison. There's a lot going on in the future, and I feel like she has her finger on the pulse on the pulse of what's happening. Steve, this has been a total blast. I love talking about this with you. Want to hear more inspiring stories? Subscribe on your preferred podcast app so you don't miss an episode. And if you like what we're doing, please rate, review, and share. It's the best way to support us. Thank you for listening to Brand Story. Brand Story.